Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the College Age Movement podcast. Uh, the next month or so is going to be awesome. We're so excited for what it holds. And we're starting a new series entitled Loveology. And the simple idea behind this is having four couples talk about four different areas of this concept of love. So we have marriage, which my wife, Larissa, and I got to talk about. We have sex, romance, singleness, and just how we can honor God in these different seasons of time. And, and so we're so, so excited about this. And uh, I'm going to have Larissa talk about what this week's message was all about. So this week we talked about how we can honor God in our marriage. And I think society has kind of done us a disservice in what marriage means. We just kind of associate marriage with feeling good and happy and it should be butterflies and rainbows all the time. And Mm -hmm. that when your marriage gets hard, it's unhealthy and that difficulty automatically means divorce. But we as a church just want to be ahead of that and we want to... Um, just teach you that marriage is not just about your happiness, but about um, God and honoring God and loving your spouse the way that you love Jesus. And marriage is designed to make you holy, not happy. It's designed to refine you and to help you see the things that you might not see on your own. And so this week we just talked about some areas that we have found growth in our marriage, and mm-hmm. hopefully you can learn something from that too. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to start out by telling you the story of how we met, because I always think it's so fun to hear other people's introduction stories. So Evan and I met the summer before my senior year of high school. And before I tell you that, I need to tell you that I was a serial dater in high school. When I found out that I could have a boyfriend and I could have just a line of guys who liked me, I was really into that. And I really... um, just started dating boys. I would date them. We'd break up. And then a week later, I'd have a new boyfriend. And all that really did to me was cause me to have a lot of self-esteem issues. I had no self-esteem. I had no self-confidence. And I really thought that I was not important or did not have any value unless I had a boyfriend. So it's probably not going to be a surprise to you when I say that I met Evan through my boyfriend at the time. So let's go ahead and just jump right in to that story from last Tuesday. So, um, yeah, I was hanging out with my boyfriend and he's like, let's go hang out with my friends. And Evan was one of them. And here's something you need to keep in mind all of tonight is that Evan and I are complete opposites in everything. So we go hang out and I am introverted and quiet and I don't like to draw attention to myself and I don't like to be the center of attention. I like to sit at home on my couch and read in silence. And Evan is an extrovert and he does not care if he's the center of attention and he's loud all the time and he gets filled up being around people. And so we met and this guy, Evan, was the loudest person I've ever encountered in my life. And I was like, he is so annoying. (laughs) And so um, we hung out that night and then Evan ended up becoming the third wheel of our relationship for the next few months. And he wore me down. Like I eventually was like, okay, I can tolerate him. And then eventually we became friends. And this was in the days of MySpace and... AOL instant messenger and texting wasn't really a thing. So we would like sneak out of our rooms at night. You're dating us. I know. Um, So we would, I'm 24. So we would um, sneak out of our rooms and talk and we built a friendship 
and that boy broke up with me. And I also was like really inappropriate with my feelings. Like I thought I was going to marry every boy I ever dated. And so um, I, Evan was my friend through 17-year-old Larissa boy drama. And so I should have realized then that he was a keeper, but I didn't. Um, so Evan was my friend. And I had never in the history of my life had a guy want to be friends with me who didn't want anything from me, who didn't want to date my best friend or to date me. And so that really set Evan apart. And then we were friends for probably like a year. And then Evan upped his flirting game and I finally realized that he liked me. And then we dated, we started dating. And like right from the beginning, it was completely different than any relationship I'd ever had because um, Evan pursued a friendship with me. He didn't know if that was going to work out into something more. He was like, I just want to be your friend. And if something develops, great. If not, great. (laughs) So do you have anything to add? I mean... So, like, the moment I saw her, I was like, please don't let that be the girl. Because I hadn't met her yet, and so she showed up with her friends. I was with my buddies. And she, like, got out of the car, and I was like, please don't be Phil's girlfriend. And it was. And I was like, dang it. And so, like, there was obviously physical attraction there the entire time. No. Not, not, <laughs> not from here to here. Obviously. Uh, but I was, I was okay. Not pers- One, I thought she was way out of my league. So I was like... So that's fine. I'll just be like, I'm good being friends with her. Um, but then, like, as we built that friendship, and, like, obviously, like, as she was a friend uh, or a girlfriend of my buddy, I was like, obviously, like, that's hands off. Like, no way. Um, but w- even when she became single, I was like, no, I just, I really, really like this girl just as a human being. And then it just, then when I decided to flirt and she flirted back, I was like, I'm in. I'm there. <laughs> I'm good, so. So our relationship was built on a friendship first. So we were like best friends when we started dating. We'd already met each other's families. We um, had hung out with each other as friends with our respective friends. Um, We knew not everything, but we knew everything about each other. And um, so our relationship now is still built on that friendship that we built first. So listen to me. I am not telling you to think of someone in your mind and like, oh, that's my friend. I'm going to marry her or him. Do not think that. I'm just telling you to build a relationship, a friendship first, because when you meet someone and you start dating them and you know nothing about them and you are building a relationship built on infatuation and feelings and butterflies in your stomach, your relationship is not going to last because you have nothing to stand on. I don't like Evan every single day. I know that's a big surprise. Um, But if we get in a fight or I'm in a mood and I'm just annoyed, like I, I would have nothing to fall back on if I knew nothing about his friendship. And so he is my friend and my best friend and my husband. And so do not just date someone just because you have feelings for them. It is not going to last. You need to build a friendship before you date them. Okay, and so then also, um, (laughs) I would pray for my future husband, and you can judge me if you want, but don't. So the things I would pray for are that he loved Jesus, that he, and this is how I would literally say it to God too. So 17 years old, please remember that. Okay, Um, he would love Jesus, that he was taller than me. Um, that he had curly hair, and that he was a singer. And then I would say, but I will not marry someone who is younger than me. So, okay, I have a picture of us. 
Okay. I scanned it in, so it's like old. So we're like 20 in this picture. Taller than me, curly hair. He does sing. He's four months younger than me. And the one thing that I was like, I will not do, God was like, okay, but you will. So it's okay to have those kinds of prayers. But anyway, okay, so that's us a long time ago. Yeah, that's us. That's us. So as we're talking about this, I think it's very, very important that you guys understand. We got married in 2010. Um, so we're both 30, 24, 30. Um, <laughs> But we've been married for eight and a half years. We are far from experts on this. And we would never consider ourselves to be. Like, we have 70, 80 years to, to continue to learn. So we're not coming. We don't, we don't want to come from that point. Like, we know things you don't. Like, shut up, listen. Um, I just want you to know, like, always, we're going we're gonna to talk through this a little bit. But, like, always be willing to learn. And, and so hopefully tonight is that. And I think it's also important as we're talking about marriage that there's, there's a phrase that, that says marriage isn't, designed to make you whole, it's designed to make you holy, to refine you. And, and that's so true because being married, while not everyone is called to it, when you are in it, it allows you to see things in yourself that you might not see otherwise. Because when you're only in your own head and you're, this is all you're dealing with, like it's easy to hide things, but I can't, like, I can't hide anything from her. Like she will point it out in me and vice versa. And so as we're walking through this, just understand that, that you might be in a spot where you're like, I feel like it's going to make me whole. Like, if I finally find that person that wants to be with me for the rest of my life, I will be complete, and you won't. Like, you just won't. And I want you to hear that. That that is not, the, the end goal is not to be married. The end goal is to be in perfect relationship with Jesus. And if you cannot figure that out now, it's going to be really, really hard on your marriage. So find that out now and hear me when I say that. And as we walk through this, just this isn't like a how to get married. This is... A, if this is something in you, we hope that what we have learned can be imparted upon you. Okay? Make sense? So the first thing that we want to talk about tonight is love languages or personality, and then Larissa loves temperaments. And so um, the five, if you guys have ever heard of the book, The Five Love Languages, we highly, highly recommend it. The whole premise of the book is not to find, it's to find out what your love language is, how you receive love, but also how your significant other receives love as well. Because it's not just about like, well, this, if they did this for me, it would make me really happy, so I'm going to do that for them. And then you get frustrated when they don't like respond with like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, because we don't receive love the same way. All of us are different. Guys, girls, you know, just the whole gamut is different. And so we want to walk through what those are. So the five love languages are words of affirmation, gifts, that's giving or receiving, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. So I'll let Larissa talk about her love language first. Okay, so my main love language is sarcasm. <laughs> um, Sweet. <laughs> no, so mine is quality time, and I also like words of affirmation. So quality time to me is um, Evan and I talking, no phones, no screens, no distractions. I cannot stand when Evan is on his phone around me. Cannot stand I'm it. on my phone a lot. So... Um, I don't want to like sit on the couch and watch football. I want to sit on the couch and talk or um, go to a coffee shop and talk. So for me, just being with Evan is my love language and being with my kids. Like that is my love language is just hanging out with them. And my love language is physical touch, uh, guys. Obviously, that's a lot of us would, would. I used to say, if you're a guy and physical touch isn't your love language, you're lying. And then I've had so many conversations since I had that, like, stance. And I'm like, a lot of people are like, no, like, I don't. Like, I'm, it's not my love language. I'm like, oh, okay. So maybe I'm just like a caveman. And I just, like, really <laughs> love physical touch. Uh, 
but also words of affirmation. When Larissa speaks life into into me, and she has a conversation, or says like, "Hey, thank," like even when she thanks me for something, or she says like, "Hey, you're doing great at that," that that's huge for me. And so, as we're talking about love languages, it's so so important that that we understand not just our own, but what our spouses or what our significant others is too, because then we get to intentionally direct our love in a specific way, and because I know that Larissa's love language is quality time, it's on me to not just try to have sex with her every night, but to spend quality time with her. And be, because if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm just trying to uh, have sex, uh, <laughs> I was trying to say like a, a really culturally appropriate, appropriate way to say that. Uh, if that's all I'm trying to do, she's gonna be like that, like, that doesn't show me that you love me. That just shows me that you're horny. And... Uh, I want to spend time with you, just talking, just being together. And so that has, we got married when we were tw- when I was 21. So like, that was so hard for me to like get through my head because I was just like, marriage is the best thing ever. Thank you, Jesus. Like, I'm now allowed to do this. And she's like, whoa, like, let's be adults and have conversation. And I was like, oh, okay. So eight and a half years later, we're getting there. So, um, I think that this idea of temperament is really, really important, too. Do you want to kind of give them, like, a little bit of an insight into what temperament is? So I love personality tests. While Evan and I were driving around this summer, I made him take, like, four because I think they're so fun. Um, So I don't know if you guys have seen the Enneagram that's floating around online. I'm a six, and Evan's a nine. Yeah, Bailey. Good. Okay. (laughs) So, um... We actually are like the most compatible numbers together, so that's good. Um, But I just love the personality test because I'm an INFJ. I don't know what Evan is, something with an E. He's extroverted, I'm introverted. It just kind of helps you relate to your spouse more. When I read the piece, nine is a peacemaker, and I read that, I was like, yes, spot on for Evan. And I'm a local, or (laughs) I would say local, (laughs) I'm a loyal skeptic. Um, so we just relate really well to each other, but temperaments, there's four temperaments. So they're melancholy, phlegmatic, sanguine, and choleric. When I first heard that, I was like, you're speaking a different language, but I am melancholy, phlegmatic, and Evan is sanguine, choleric. So again, opposites and everything. Um, but that really helped me relate well to Evan because Evan like cannot be on time for anything. And I need to be on time. No, I'm I need to be, to be five. I'm five. I need to be there like 45 minutes early. Like I'm getting stressed if it's if I'm not leaving the house. And so I will pick Evan up from work and I will be like, I'm here. It's 10 minutes early. I know. Take your time. And he'll be like, I have one more thing to get done. And then comes down like an hour later. I mean, it's not that bad, but um, so that helps me relate to him. Like he needs to fit in as many things as he can in his day. And I need to be there early. And so learning that about each other has been beneficial to not fighting about what time we are going to leave our house for the thing that we're going to. I don't ever take an hour longer, 10 minutes, maybe 20 of stuff to get done. A full calendar is a good day for me. A empty calendar is a good day for her. And so finding that balance is really, really important. Uh, the second thing we want to talk about is just communication and primarily the idea of handling conflict. Um, our backgrounds in how our families handled conflict have a huge effect on how we now handle conflict. And so my family, if, if my mom and dad, I rarely saw my mom and dad get in an argument. Um, and if, if they did, it was like, you could, like, somebody would say something, and I'd be like, oh, and then they'd be like, we'll handle it later. 
And then they would just literally, like, 10 minutes later when I was out of the room, because I was a kid, like, I would just, like, stand on the other side of the door. And they wouldn't, like, ever, like, raise their voices, but they would have a conversation, like, in the moment and figure it out. And 15 minutes later, they were good. Like, that, they were perfectly fine. And then Larissa's family was different, right? So I grew up in a family. My parents are still married, but they fought all the time. Um, so they not only fought with each other, like locking themselves in the bathroom, screaming at each other, but also gave each other the silent treatment. So I really perfected the art of silent treatment because of my parents, because no one in my family would work out their problems. We would just all get mad at each other and then ignore each other for days. Like my parents would literally go weeks without talking to each other. And so when we got married, that was just what I knew to do. And if you just like stop and think about how your family of origin handled conflict, you're probably going to see some similarities. So if it's unhealthy, like accept it. I was so like Satan told me the lie that it was my fault and I was, I should be guilty for the way my parents handled conflict. It literally had nothing to do with me. There was no reason for me to be guilty, but I couldn't even talk about it with anyone. Like when we did our premarital counseling, our pastor was like, how do your parents handle conflict? I'm like, fine. Like, could not address it, could not deal with it because I was so embarrassed about it. And now I just, I'm like, whatever, I don't care. So um, we, so I was really good at ignoring Evan and like giving him the silent treatment, even if it was something like so small that I could have just been like, oh, that. Days. Days, yeah. Days. Like that hurt my feelings. Could you not do that? I couldn't, I could not express myself. I didn't know how to put into words what I was feeling and I didn't know how to do it. Like I was just too embarrassed to formulate my words and to talk about my feelings and so for the first couple of years of our marriage I just would give Evan the silent treatment all the time because of my family I was like fix it like right I'm a fixer and so I'd be like let's have a conversation and like even if I did something and she was offended I could see the switch and her get quiet and I'd be like what's wrong what's wrong and just like over and over and over and because I, I just wanted resolution. I wanted resolution now. And she was like, I want resolution in like three days. And we could not find a middle ground. So I would get frustrated because it's not getting figured out now. And she was getting frustrated because she's like, we're going to like stop trying to figure it out now. And so as you in your relationships are thinking about those things, know your tendencies on how you resolve or how you deal with conflict. There's a couple verses. Uh, the first one being in Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then in James, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I was really quick at things, and Larissa was really slow at things. And I... I wanted to talk about grievances super, super fast. And then she didn't want to react out of, like, the moment that she said, I just need to think about this before I say something that I'm going to regret. I was like, oh, like, you're, it's not just, like, you being mean to me. It's you saying, I want to make sure that when I respond to you, it's what I want to say. And when she vocalized that to me, I was like, okay, I need to back off. And, like, nine years in, we're still trying to figure this out. Like, we're still still working through conflict and how we deal with it. But it's so, so important that you start to think about it now. And uh, I think one of the things... I no longer give the silent treatment. No, I think never. it's important to say that. Now she voices it. And I don't know what's, be what's better. <clears throat> I think um, I did not want my own kids to grow up in that same environment. And so being pregnant with Maddox was really a turning point for me. And I lived in my parents' house for 18 years. So I had 18 years 
ingrained in my being of how to react to conflict, you guys, that is so hard to change. So every time there was an issue, I had to be like, I need to, I need to say it. And so if you have really unhealthy communication styles or conflict styles, it's important to find someone in your life that you trust, that you can voice that to, and then ask them to help you. Because if Evan would have like shut me down or interrupted me or like laughed at me because I couldn't speak, um, I wouldn't, I would have shut down and I would have never opened up and been able to communicate. So Evan was just very, um, honest with me and accepting of my downfalls. And so, um, that was super important in my healing process and my learning. So I still like now our communication is, um, I usually take a little bit of time because I'm also a stuffer. So I need to figure out like what I'm really upset about. Cause probably it was something from like three weeks ago that Evan doesn't even remember. So I need to figure out what I'm upset about and how to vocalize that kindly and appropriately. And that's pretty much, yeah. So, and Evan does not just like beg me to talk to him immediately. Yeah. Yeah, And I think it's really important that not, not only identify your partner's uh, conflict style or communication style, but value it. Like, it's not just about, I know that they do this, but find value in it and understand that there's something in it that you do not have yourself. Because it's going to be very rare that you and your significant other, you handle conflict the same way. So when they start to handle it a different way, like, find value in that and be like, that's good because of these reasons, and I need to, like, draw be drawn into that and, and respect it. And if you both can do that, you will find really, really healthy middle ground um, I think it's also really important that you prevent conflict. Um, all of us that are in relationships, whether you're married or you've been in a serious relationship, know what is going to piss your significant other off. And yet we still do it. I know that Luris is going to get mad at me if I'm on my phone too much. And I'm on my phone too much. I know that if I like get home after church on a Sunday and I walk down to the living room and turn on football, she's going to be like, See, like, we have not even had lunch yet and you're just there. And I do it all the time. I'm saying that as somebody who just did this like two days ago. So like this isn't something that that we have perfected by any stretch, but it's still, it's amazing to me how our mind, we're like, it's like the whole definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But we do that in our relationships and we know what has made our, our wife or our husband or our boyfriend or our girlfriend, we know what has made them mad and yet we continue to do it. So we need to be intentional about preventing that and not putting ourselves in situations where you're going to have to handle conflict. Conflict is inevitable. It is going to absolutely happen. But that doesn't mean that you intentionally put yourself in those situations. So make sure that you are staying out of that. Um, This kind of takes us into this other point um, that Larissa experienced a lot in her personal life with her parents. This idea of not talking about your spouse negatively to other people for no reason. And so, Larissa, you want to give a little, like, background on that? Yeah. So my parents fought all the time. They gave each other the silent treatment. And then they would come to my brother and I and complain about each other. And I hated that so much. That was, like, my least favorite thing that my parents would do. And I don't know if they were trying to, like, turn us against the other spouse or what. But I was like, this is so inappropriate. You should not be talking about my mom or dad this way and you need to have someone in your life that's not your child to have these conversations with and so um from a really young age I was like I will not ever do that to my spouse I will never speak negatively about them 
And so that's something that I've just really held on to um, because I don't want other people to, to see my marriage or to see the way that I speak about Evan and think that I don't love him or that to, have, to formulate any opinion of Evan based on what I say. And so I'm very careful about the words I use to speak about Evan. And especially when we're in a conflict or I'm frustrated with him because that's when Satan is like in there trying to get me to like, just tell your best friend and it'll be okay. But no, like I do not, even if I'm upset with Evan, I do not talk about him. Maybe like a couple days later when it's passed, I can like kindly say something, but I don't ever like talk badly about Evan to anyone. Um, And so that's biblical. So Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. I think as as we talk about this, it's we're not saying that you can't. There, there's health in having a person in your life or people in your life that you can talk about your marriage to. It's not like, well, like Evan made me mad, and so I can't talk to anyone about that because I don't want them to ever think that we're not perfect. Like everybody knows that. But the question that we have to ask is, what is the purpose of you talking about your spouse in the first place? And so, a couple things as I speak about my spouse. Uh, to others, is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? One, is it beneficial to me? Uh, Is me vocalizing it to a trusted friend allowing me to get something off of my chest that I just, I need to talk about, I need guidance in? It's somebody who can give me advice that's been there before or that's further along in life. Is it beneficial to me? And then secondly, is it beneficial to my spouse? Like if I go to someone and I say, hey, me and Larissa are having this struggle and I know that you have gone through this before or you've been married for 25 or 30 years and I need wisdom, is what I gain from that mentor going to make me a better husband for Larissa? Because if I cannot say that it's beneficial to either one of us, it shouldn't be a conversation that is even being had. Because if all it is is me complaining about Larissa or all it is me trying to put her in a bad light so people raise me, it's just like any of our relationships. Why, why would we talk about someone else if all it's going to do is elevate us? Like, that's just selfish, and marriage isn't supposed to be selfish. It's supposed to be selfless. So we have to make sure that what we are saying, if we are saying anything, is beneficial to our actual marriage. And then what we talked about kind of in the intro is this idea of having a teachable heart. And this kind of just rolls right into it is these conversations that we get to have outside of our marriage, we learn a ton from each other. But there's also things to learn from other people around us. I mean, that's, that's why we're sitting up here, because we've had people in our life that have spoken so much wisdom into our marriage. And so we want to continue that cycle. So we have to posture ourselves in a way that we have a teachable heart. Um, you will never have marriage figured out. You will never be an expert. Um, we... We, we don't want to pretend like we don't have anything. Like, we don't want to, like, live in this, like, oh, we're so bad at this. Like, if, if there are things that you're succeeding in, like, share that with other people, just like our walk with Christ. Like, when we do something that Christ has asked us to do, it's not just for us. It's to help other people follow him the same way. And so as we've learned things, we want to make sure that we're putting ourselves in situations where we can teach people, but also in situations where we can learn. And Larissa made the point uh, as we were creating this talk or going through what we wanted to say, and she said, these te- we have friends, all a ton of teachers who are friends, and a ton of teachers or a ton of people who are in the medical field. And she's like, they have to do continued training, right? Like this last week, 
all the teachers had to go to Skyview and do mandatory on-the-job training, continued learning, because what they learned in college wasn't just like, that's it. You're never going to have to learn anything ever again. You're going to be a perfect teacher for the next 50 years. They have to do continued training. In the same way, we need to put ourselves in situations where we're doing continued training, where we're taking classes and we're, we're meeting with other couples and we're reading books and we're doing all those things because if I'm the same husband 20 years from now that I am today, our marriage is not going to be in a good spot. We have to learn and we have to grow together. You don't have anything to add to that at all? Um, one of the other things that we talked about was uh, routine and that... Uh, routine can kind of be something that starts to kill um, lots of different things in your marriage. And um, once you see yourself um, in, in this spot where you're like, well, this is just what we do. Like on Mondays we do this and on Tuesdays we do this and so on and so forth. You start to lose a lot of things that marriage is created to be. Marriage is supposed to be exciting. It's not supposed to be predictable. Everybody wants to be married so their life becomes predictable, but I can say, and I think Larissa could say too, that once you get married, it becomes like less predictable because you're, even though you're with the same person for the next 60 or 70 years, we, I, like, I hope I am not the same boy that was in that picture, like for the love of God. Like if, <laughs> like, and if Larissa didn't change, then like that's that's where you get bored with your spouse, and that's where all of the like where infidelity starts to happen, and it's where people just start to create these excuses of like, oh man, like they're not the person I married. Yeah, duh. Like who you married was 22, like and now you're 50. Like I hope they're not. And so like stay away from routine. Even if you've been in a relationship for a couple years and you're 19 years old, do whatever you can to break out of routine and understand and value the fact that they're changing. And embrace that and do things that break you out of routine. And don't just do the same thing all the time. Like, there's some good things that happen in routine. But don't create your whole life around this, like, bubble that's like, this is how things are supposed to be. Be willing to adapt to change. And then in this idea of having a teachable heart, too, if you ever see yourself as the smartest person in the room, you're in trouble. If you ever are in a friend group where, like, you are the only people who know anything about anything, like, Put your, that doesn't mean you have to leave that friend group, but it just means that you need to bring other people into it, or that means that you need to have conversations outside of it. Like, there, there are people, and it, please don't be your parents. Like, I've had so many conversations that are like, my mom and dad have such good advice on how, how I should be in marriage with my, that's fine, like, but that can't be the only person you're learning from because they're going to side with you every freaking time. Like, if I walked up to my mom and dad and be like, Larissa did whatever, and I'm 100% in the wrong, they're going to be like, oh, bud, like, that's okay. You know that, that the Cook family value, like, shut up. Like, <laughs> they're going to side with me every time, and the same for, for, like, her dad would kill me if Larissa said anything. And that's why your parents, like, they can, they can speak into your life. I hope that Maddox and Zara, when they get married in 80 years, are never. Looking are looking to us for some advice, but not all advice. And so put yourself in situations where you're not the smartest person in the room. When it, that goes for marriage. That goes for anything, like theologically, whatever it may be. Vocationally, don't be the smartest person in the room. You want to, oh, I guess the next one is me again. I feel like I've been talking for a really long time. Hold on, time out. I'm just kidding. Uh, all right, so the next point is this is Men. One of the ways that you can show your wife that you love her and value her is to feed her passions. Um, it's so, so vital that you are somebody who pushes her towards the thing that fills her up, not somebody who holds her back from them. 
There's a, a quote by Andy Stanley, a, a pastor, and he's talking about his um, church, his faculty, but it's something that we've kind of adopted into our marriage, and Larissa just gives me crap, because Larissa is like, she's a dreamer. Like, she is like she's like, I want to do this, I want to do this. And the statement that Andy Stanley makes is say, wow, not how. And I am so practical in a lot of things. So it's like, I want to do all these things. I'm like, how would we do that? Like, we don't have the money for that. We don't have the time for that. And she's like, wow, not how. I'm like, okay. And so it's something that, that I've had to learn that as we, as she starts to talk about all of these things that she wants to do, I need to be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. How can I help make that happen? Not, that's not realistic. Uh, when she decided that she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and be a full-time photographer, I had to say, I'm going to buy you a camera, and I'm going to push you towards that. Not, no, that's a dumb idea. Like, that, that'll never work. There's a 1,000 people who call themselves photographers, and we could never make it. Instead, I finally made the right decision and bought her a camera, and now she's a stay-at-home mom who takes wedding photos, and if we, we couldn't live the lives that we do ministry doesn't pay well um if she wasn't doing what she did and that was all because i said okay like i'm gonna buy you that camera and so guys it's so easy for us to be practical and to be like realists and there's an element of that where we like sometimes i'm like larissa we don't have eight hundred thousand dollars so no we cannot buy that wedding venue right now but it was 1.25 million okay we also do not have that (laughs) we're very far away from that um so there, there's elements where it's like, no, I'm not gonna put our, we're not going to put ourselves in $1.25 million in debt to do that. But also there are a lot of things that I can do on a daily basis where I push her towards the things she's passionate about. And if you can do that, then your wife will be so, so appreciative of that. And that's how you value who she is, not just who she is to you. Yes, very good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, ladies. Um. We are going to talk about respect. So when you respect your husband, that fuels his tank. And on the opposite side, your contempt will empty his tank. So um, Ephesians 5.33 literally says, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There you go. It says it in the Bible. Um, so just remember that your marriage is not intended to make you happy. And your respect for your husband is a direct representation of your respect for Christ. So I only say that because it's not always easy for me to respect Evan and to, um, I wouldn't even like necessarily label it as that, but sometimes my attitude or my direct, like he tells me I should do this and I do the opposite thing, like that's disrespecting him. Um, So here's a really good story about how I didn't respect Evan. Um, I didn't tell you I was going to tell this. So, um, that's not on here. Okay. It's fine. So the other day, um, I was just upset. I don't even know. I was just in a mood. And so I'd already explained to Evan what I was upset about, but he just kind of like blew me off. So then I decided to retell him because he didn't listen to me the first time. And I just like went at it. And I was like, here's the 17 things you did this morning that ticked me right off. And he was like facing away from me and he turns around, rolls his eyes at me and then goes, and I was a like that set me over the edge so as he's explaining to me why he did these things I just walked away I just left the room I was like I don't have time for you right now 
<laughs> so that was a really good example of me not respecting him at all because one, I didn't even and like me not respecting her yeah. either. But I was like, I was mad. I was like, you did not respect me, but I was like, I didn't respect you first. I was mad too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, sorry. Um, was that yesterday? Was, no, that was Saturday. Oh. It was not a good morning for us. No, we were good though. We're good now, right? Yeah, we're fine. Okay, so, um, <laughs> so I was mad that Evan didn't. Oh, hi. Okay, don't touch me. I was mad. Physical touch. That Evan did not respect me, but I did not like pause in my frustration and even say even like go to him kindly or just say like, Hey, I need to talk to you about some things that upset me this morning. I just like blew up and then got mad when that was his reaction. Of course that would be his reaction because I was being rude and crazy. And so, um, it's just so important to listen. So I asked Evan because I don't think I've ever asked him that I said, while we were like preparing this, I said, Evan, what do I do that makes you feel respected? So just ask that simple question. Like, guys, ask your girlfriends, ask your wives, like, what are your passions? How can I help feel those? And then ladies, ask your husband, ask your, ask your boyfriends, like, what can I do to show you respect? And so Evan said that he really likes when I seek his opinion on decisions. So this is another part of being a six. Um, is that I cannot make a decision to save my life. And I also need like a ton of input. So I used to like, if something was broke in our house or I didn't know how to do something, I would just call my dad. I would not even ask Evan, like, can you hang this? No, I would just call my dad. And so Evan was like, I feel like you don't respect me because you don't even allow me to try. And so I've had to like back off that and give Evan the chance to, you know I what you didn't like do? 15% of the things. You didn't, I didn't hang the shelf. I know. Yeah. I have two holes. I have holes in my bedroom wall that Evan. Let's talk okay. about it. Months. I haven't had a shelf for months. Months? Yeah. So I'm going to call my dad. <laughs> weeks. That's like two weeks. Okay. Okay. All right. And to be fair, now, now she allows me to try to like fix it. I fix things like 20% of the time. I get it right. And then we call your dad. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with asking for help, but he just wants to be asked first. Right. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so Evan Super said. Super collar. This guy. Right yeah. Here. Sure. In your skinny jeans. Okay. <laughs> Long D. Okay. So um, I need help making decisions, but Evan said, I love when you come to me with any decision, like whether it's um, turning down a wedding or a photo shoot that I don't feel comfortable with. If I talk with him and talk through it. I'm valuing his opinion and I'm not just making a decision, even if it's like the smallest decision, oh my God. Decision. Decision. Like, does this outfit look okay? Like, I don't know if you like that or not, but I literally go to Evan with every single question I have. That's part of my personality. So I don't care if he doesn't like it. That's just who I am. But he said that he does, he feels respected when I do come to him and value his opinion. And then the other thing would be to listen. And we as a culture just really suck at active listening. So that means literally like empty your brain when you're talking to someone. Don't be thinking about the response that you want to have, but just listen and then respond and don't interrupt. And so I love quality time. I love talking to Evan. So I love to listen to him, but, um, I love to talk. Yes. So it's one thing that we are super compatible. Yeah. On. Mm-hmm. Look at us. Uh, the last thing, man, we talked a long time. We haven't got to any questions yet. Um, the last, last point that we just want to make is determine your core values as a couple. Um, we, 
went to a workshop last year and had a guy who just simply said that. He said that you as a couple, it was geared directly towards couples in ministry, but he said you need to determine your core values as a couple or else your ministry will start to take precedence over your family. And I was like, wow, like 90% of this workshop I was not actively listening to. And then he said that, and I was like, wow, this was like the best thing ever, and we kind of kept talking about it. And so we're still working through those, but it's so important that you have those. And one of ours, uh, we won't walk through all of ours, but like one of ours is family first. And it's really easy for me in this job to, to try to juggle 50 different things, and we can try to take 15 weddings as wedding photographers and all of these different things. And we can start to prioritize those things in front of our family. And we've had to intentionally say, no, we're going to prioritize our family first. So even when our best friends are like, hey, can we hang out tonight? If we haven't spent enough time together or with Maddox and Zara, we just have to say no. And I used to, I used to, oh, I would make up the most lavish excuses. I'd be like, no, my great uncle died in a boating accident and we have to go to the hospital. And so we can't hang out tonight. And they'd be like, oh my gosh. And like, there's my big why can't you just say, like, no, I'm hanging out with my wife? I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like I have to have, like, a really big excuse. And so now it's just like, no, like, tonight's family night. And never once have any of our friends ever said, like, oh, my gosh, how dare you? Like, they're just like, yeah, of course. Like, your family comes first. And when we set that for ourselves, other people will start to accept that, too. So as a couple, as a family, as you are entering into whatever season of life you are entering into, even with your friends, like, set core values, just like we walked through for the last two months, core values of Faith Chapel. It's something that if, as we plan new things ministry-wise, as we are entering into new seasons, we can go back to our core values and say, does this fit into our core values? If it does not fit into our core values, we're not going to participate in it. And for us as a couple or as a family, we can go back to our core values and we can say, hey, we're thinking about taking this new thing on. Does that fit within our core values? And if it doesn't, then we're not giving it time. And so that, that's just something that we have set and so I would just really encourage you, like, it's still, it's still a work in progress for us, but start to do that for yourselves, too. Anything that you want to add to that at all? Okay, cool. Um, thank you for texting in. We have, like, uh, 180 questions now, and we will not keep you guys here till 11 o'clock, I swear. Um, but I'm going to walk through these. Um, uh, we'll just try to get a few in here. And then also, I would say this. Some of these questions that I've seen, um, so Greg and Aaron McCall are talking about sex. Um, Mark and Denise Johnson are talking about romance, and then Glenn and Brenda Grove are talking about singleness. So if we don't get to your questions tonight, we'll absolutely push those uh, onto them as they're talking about specific things. You just took my phone, so the, I don't know. What the fir- okay, first question. Would you <laughs> consider Bailey Scott the full package? <laughs> wow, who said that? <laughs> uh, huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bailey's pretty awesome. I said yes, Bailey. Bailey is so awesome. She just went to Texas. She went to the Silos Magnolia, and she went and found my favorite Instagrammer and sent me a picture and a video of the girl talking to me. So, yeah, Bailey so, Scott is a full package, obviously. It's not very anonymous when you put your name on it. I doubt okay, it. Bailey. Okay. <laughs> I'm so shy. Okay, I really like this one that we got earlier. How do you find time to still date each other and keep your relationship fun between busy schedules, fun kids, and work? Heart. Heart emoji. Guessing that's not a dude. I think that was a guy. 
Okay, so I kind of view things in seasons. So this summer, our summer season was insanely busy. We traveled for photography almost every weekend. We did camps. Um, We were gone all the time. So this current season that we're in, I don't want to be away from my kids a ton because I already did that this year. And so... um, This season, Evan and I are taking Tuesday mornings and we go to a coffee shop and we just have coffee together and talk and we wrote this and it is so, it's different. We've never done that before. And so I don't know how long that's going to last. Like Evan could get really busy on Tuesdays. Um, And usually he's prepping for college age. So that's so nice of him to take away from his busy day for me. But that's our season right now. And that might not work in the next couple of weeks. That might not work over Christmas. And so I'm trying really hard not to look back. When we were first married and we didn't have kids, we'd go on a date like once a week or a couple times a month. And we do not do that now. And so I'm trying not to look back and like miss those things. But I'm also not looking forward to the future because this is my right now. And I I'm really enjoying these coffee shop dates. So how do we make it work? Um, We just try to be creative and find the time. Like that is our time. Our kids are in school Monday through Friday for Maddox and Zara goes two days a week. So we, when Zara and Maddox are both in school, we have a couple hours to just hang out. Um, So that's that. We also have parents in town, so they watch our kids for us. But um, we just love hanging out as a family. And so, I mean, we try probably every single day to like have a good one-on-one conversation. But aside from like actually leaving our house, we just kind of make it work with whatever our schedule and whatever our season of life looks like. And this summer it was like windshield time constantly. Like Yeah, we drove like 6,000 miles in two months. Yeah, meals before our weddings or after and then talking in the car. And so just maybe you don't have a ton of money when you first get married. Like go make it. Or when you're now We are millionaires. Um, Like, pack a picnic and go to a park or go to a movie do just get creative you pinterest is a thing so just google cheap dates you can make it work on any budget with any amount of time you just have to make it a priority and put the effort in that's really good um this isn't like sexy but your phone is a terrible thing but it also has a calendar in it and like set time aside and don't budge on it just like like for me if i set a meeting with Nate Petzl, I would not m- try to move that unless like it was something dire. But why? Like if if I'm willing to give that kind of priority to that, I better be willing to give that kind of priority to putting taking my wife on a date. And so put it in your phone, like whatever it takes to set time aside and say like this is. It can be every Tuesday we're doing this, or every Friday night we're doing this, just us as a couple, whatever it may be. But make sure that you make time for it. Do not just hope that time comes where you're like, oh, I'm free and you're free. Like, let's go on a date. Like, set time aside. And as you are entering into more serious relationship, you get married, you start to have kids, that gets harder and harder to do. So if you can do it now, it makes it so much easier to do when you're married. Um, another second question. Uh, first of all, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Uh, that's to us, not to you. You guys are amazing, too. Um, but do you guys still find insecurities in your relationship, and how do you handle them? Uh, I would say, yeah, 100%. I still find, like, personally, I find insecurities in our relationship because I know that we're far from perfect, and I'm human. And I think that that if you find insecurity in your relationship, it's really easy to be like, we're not going to work because... We're not fully confident. You'll never be fully confident. I know that I'm going to be married to Larissa for the rest of my life. There's no question about that. 
but as a as a husband, as a provider, whatever it may be, like I'm gonna find insecurities and in saying like well, I don't look like that guy or I don't make the kind of money that that guy does. And what if Larissa would have married Phil? Oh my gosh, like what if she wouldn't have got broken up with and then I swooped in and Mr. Steal Your Girl? Like what if? <laughs> like what if he comes back? I don't know. Like so there, there's obvious insecurities, but I think that that is human and that's that's okay. Like. But you have to speak that whole words of affirmation thing. When Larissa speaks life into me and I get to do that for her, that makes those insecurities go down. And our job isn't to just like get rid of every insecurity ever because we are human, but our job is to be in partnership with each other and to be continuously pursuing um, building each other up so that we're less insecure. Do you have anything with that? Okay, cool. How did She's you? She's perfectly secure. Yeah. How did you know that they were the one? The one. You want me to answer it first? I've, I think that the one is a bunch of BS. Um, so uh, Steve Petzl, who's on staff here, talked about relationships like a, two years ago, and he made a statement that I love. Like, they did a scientific study that says that you probably encounter 45 people in your life that you'd have a successful marriage with. And I was like, that was like really like took me back because I was like, what? Like, because I've lived in that. Like, I lived in the like, you have to find the one. And if it's not that one, like, what if the one died? Or like, what if the one, like, you're just screwed because the one person like didn't look over at the red light? Like, oh, like, but that's terrifying, right? Like, as a, as a teenager, as a, like a college student, like, I was like, what if Larissa's not the one? And what if my, me spending time with her prevents me from being, no, like the, the whole idea, that, that's something that culture is appropriated and I think it's a bunch of crock. Like I think that there's a lot of people in your life that you will come in contact with that you will have a successful marriage. Now I believe that this thing is God ordained and I think that it's gonna be amazing for the rest of my life. But I also know that it's not the only person that God could have done something in me with. And Larissa knows the same thing. Like we, there are other people that, that you can look at. And that doesn't mean that you look around and be like, hmm, I wonder what being married to her would be like. <laughs> oh. What it means is, like, we are simply human beings, and God is God. And we have to understand that, that he can do incredible things in and through us and anybody that we want to step into a relationship with. But there is something about making sure that when you enter into something, you enter into it forever. You have something? But how did you know that you wanted to marry me? Oh, do you remember those jeans you used to have? Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <sighs> honestly, honestly, this is, this is when I knew that I wanted to marry Larissa. Uh, we went to Ethiopia several times, and um, we, there's, there was just something um, about the way that she served. So first, my first mission trip was to Brazil, and your first one was to Tijuana, but then you went to the Philippines while we were dating, right? Yeah. Right. And um, that's something that, that, that her servant's heart and the way that she wanted to love and serve other people. And she, like, she wanted to do it unabashedly and not just like, oh, I'm going to help out like, at the soup kitchen once a year. Like, I knew that she wanted to serve people. And I knew that I wanted to be in ministry and I wanted to serve people. And that was kind of like it for me. How about for you, babe? Okay, well. Is it these jeans? Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Okay, so... Um, I'm not. Here's a part of our story that I didn't talk about is that Evan and I broke up. Oh, yeah. For six months. Several months. And 
we won't need to name who broke up with who, but, um, (laughs) um, so I broke up with Evan and I like instantly went back into my high school ways of like needing to be affirmed by guys and needing a boyfriend, even though I had a boyfriend, but whatever. Um, so we both dated other people during that time. And I just really realized that I loved the way that Evan talked to me and treated me and that who I was with him. And so I just knew that that Evan was the one. So the moral of that story is that I knew I wanted to marry you before we broke up and you knew that you wanted to marry me. I needed at least one more boyfriend before (laughs) I married you. (laughs) That's fair. And he was older than me. Yeah. He was like 42. (laughs) He wasn't that old. The bottom one. Uh, All right. How do you guys keep God the center of your relationship and lead your family towards the Lord? It's me asking you. It's actually somebody out there asking you. I texted that in myself. Okay. So, um, how do we do this? Can I can I read it again? Okay. Um, So, I would say that we both just have the same vision. So Evan has to be here on the weekends. I come with Evan because I don't want to sit at home and do nothing while Evan is here. So if Evan's at the church, I'm probably at the church, at least not Monday through Friday, but like weekends, holidays, stuff like that. I'm here with Evan. Um, And so that's just like ingrained in our family and our kids come and go to Sunday school. We totally take advantage of free childcare. Yeah, free childcare. And, um, so we do that. We read our Bibles with our kids. We pray. Um, what else do we do? Yeah, I think for us, it, it comes kind of naturally because of the fact that we work at a church. I mean, I get paid to work here. She does it for free. Um, but, like, we're here a lot, and so it's really easy for it to just to kind of be ingrained within who we are as a family. And I think that one of the things that we see, like if you're a PK, like I'm not a PK, but my parents were like super pastor's kid for anybody who doesn't know what a PK is. Um, My parents were so involved in the church that I felt like a PK. And so as my kids get older, I think it gets harder and harder to not just be here out of obligation, but it becomes something that like we want them to develop their own faith. But we also like, even as a pastor, like I have to make sure that I don't just come to the church 45 hours a week because it's my job but because it's something that I'm passionate about and it's because something I feel like I'm called to. And so we that's something that we have to do is not just do it out of obligation or out of that thing called routine, but out of like actual desire to be here. And we're hoping that that it kind of bleeds onto each other and onto our kids too, that they see that. And it's not just like dad has to go to work and I'm like, oh my gosh, I hate it. Like they see me excited about it. And so they're excited to be here too. So, yep. Let's do okay. two more. Okay. I really like this one. Do you think personality tests are accurate? And of course should you, you like this one. <laughs> and should you not pursue someone that has a personality that is not compatible with yours? Okay, yes, I do think they're accurate. I'm sure that there's some out there that are bogus, but everyone that I've taken is spot on. hundred percent. A hundred percent. No, okay. I really do. Like, if you're going to take a personality test, like the Enneagram was developed by scientists. Like, it's very factual. There's also, like, spiritual gifts tests that yeah. are, like, you know, biblically based. But anyway. Not sound, like, super old school, but that's also a good yes. one to take. Like the love languages. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, yes, I think they're accurate. And I think they're not all accurate. You need to read it. And if it comes back and you're like, that is not me at all. Okay, fine. Just take another one. Or don't. Like. Don't change yourself. Like, the personality test says I'm this way. Like, yeah. 
but are you? Yeah. Like, You'll know when you read the description of what you are, like, wow, yes, that is me, or no, that is not. And it's obviously not cut and dry. Like, there are some things that I don't fall into the categories for, but whatever. Do or should you not pursue someone that has a personality that is not compatible with yours? I think you should pursue the person that you like. On paper, Evan and I are not compatible. I, Except for your personality test, we're perfectly okay, compatible, right? I just found that out, like, a Sorry. minute ago. Like, he's an extrovert, I'm an introvert. Um, our temperaments are completely different. Honestly, like we are not very compatible with each other, but we love Jesus. So Jesus is the center of our relationship. Um, we love the same things. We love mission trips. We love Africa. We have things in common that have nothing to do with our personalities. And so your personality, like you might find someone really annoying or boring, like don't date them just because you're compatible with them on a personality level. Yeah, I think that there's something like, explore yourself like make sure that you understand kind of like where you fall when it comes to like what fills you up and what drains your tank and like we have found a rhythm in the sense that being around a ton of people like this like I'm at the end of the night I'm full at the end of the night she's gonna be like I'm going to bed like I'm tired and so like we're completely opposite in that but we found a way to work through that because of the, the baseline of Christ and so that's it and like Jesus and everything like that that is so so important now that doesn't mean like oh well he loves jesus i guess i have to try to date him like no there's there's definitely more to that but it's not it's not the factor but it's it's a factor and you have to kind of know that about yourselves and and try to figure that out and and go from there but i don't just like there's not just like the one I don't think that you should be a serial dater, and that is not a shot at my wife. I dated plenty of girls before I met Larissa. Um, but, like, there is something about being in relationship with people, and it doesn't mean that you have to be physical. It doesn't mean that you have to hold hands, even. It just means that, like, you need to spend time around other people and be like, yep, this person's awesome, and if this doesn't work out, if there's another person that's, like, similar to that, I know I'm going to be into them. And if this person's a total douche, like, I'm not going to hang out with them anymore because I'm not into that. So do that. I don't know if that had anything to do with the question. I just talked. Classic. Classic me. <laughs> okay, last question. What is your greatest hope for your marriage in the future? Oh, sure. Uh, I think that um, off the top of my head, I think my greatest hope for our marriage is that it never stops being something that benefits other people. I I just honestly believe that that our marriage specifically, just in the position that we're allowed to be in, even though we are not qualified to be here, uniquely positions us to affect other people with our marriage. And so I want that to be the case forever. That's one of the greatest things, I think, about our relationship is that people do come to us, and I never want to be somebody that's like, they have nothing to teach me. And so uh, I always want to be learning so that I can help teach. I agree with that, and I also think we got married at 22 and 21, and Evan was older, and <laughs> I just hear a lot in the church world, like, people telling young people, you're too young to get married, you're too young to be in a relationship, and I'm not about that. Like, if you are going to get married at that age, which people are going to, then we need to equip them and love them and walk with them, because I wish I would have known like half the things that I know now getting married that early. Like we were literally babies and we were. We, we were too young. Like we should not have gotten married when yeah. we got married. 
But we did. But we did. (laughs) So other people are getting married at that age too. And that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't change that now, but I just wish that I would have been better equipped. And so my hope is that we can do that for other people too. Because I don't ever want to tell someone they're too young to do something. I want to give them the tools to use and teach them instead of telling someone you can't, you can't do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really important. Like as we, like, as I look over this room, like, it's not about your age. Like, your age has nothing to do with it. There are people in here who are married who are 22, and that's awesome. And I want you to have strong marriages, and we, we hope that we can speak into that. And there are people in here who are 25, 30, who aren't married yet, and there are people in here who are 18 and aren't married yet, and the 18-year-old and the 30-year-old are saying the same thing. They're like, um, what, like, what in the world? Like, what is God doing? Like, why am I not there yet? And I would just say this, like, just be where you're at. And it's so easy for us to want to be in this, in any situation that we're not currently in. Like as married, like you'll get married and then you'll look at your single friends and you'll be like, they get to do whatever they want, whenever they want. And that's not fair. And then you're single and you look at people who are married and you're like, well, they get the family and they get the white picket fence and they get to have sex inside of marriage and not feel guilty about it. And they get to do the, we always want to put ourselves in the situation that we're not in. Just be where you're at and trust that God is going to put, take you where you want to go. That, that is like my biggest thing is don't, don't regret where you're at in pursuit of your future. Just understand that God has you right where he has you for a reason. So make the most of that. And if he moves you into another season of life, great. But do it on his time, not on your own. Let me pray. Is that okay? All right. I'm going to start preaching. Uh, Jesus, we love you and we're thankful for the whole concept of marriage, Lord, the idea of being in relationship, and, and Lord, we know that it's something that you have designed specifically for us, but, but Jesus, would you teach us in whatever season we're in, Lord, would you uniquely equip, equip us to be the most effective followers of Jesus right where we're at? Lord, let us not look at point D or point E without trying to go through A, B, and C, like, Jesus, we just want to be where you have us, and, uh, let us be successful there. Let us impact people for your kingdom there. And Lord, if, if your will is for us to enter into a relationship or enter into a marriage, Lord, would you make that happen? Uh, but Lord, let us not lose effectiveness where we're at. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful that you've uniquely equipped each one of us to be who we are. Continue to work through us. We love you in your name. Amen. Amen. There's so many questions. Oh, thanks, guys. Um, there's so many questions that we didn't answer. So if you really want to talk to us about your question, you can come talk to us or message us, email us, text mm-hmm. this number again. Yeah. We don't want to ignore anyone. So yeah. sorry. And there are, did. like I said, there are a lot, plenty of questions that can be answered in the following upcoming weeks. So yeah. And we also, we don't want to surprise Greg and Aaron next week with questions about sex. So there are some on here, but if you have more questions, keep them coming and we'll make sure to pass those on. Yep. Love you guys. See you next week. Well, hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the College Age Movement podcast again. And we hope that you got a lot out of uh, last week's talk. And uh, next week we have Greg and Aaron McCall coming to talk. And and we hope that you uh, come and join us in person. We meet on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock here at Faith Chapel. We would absolutely love for you to come and be a part of the family, find community, find friends. And uh, it's just an incredible thing to be a part of. But we totally understand if you can't make it on Tuesday nights. And that's why we're doing this podcast. So we hope that it continues to fill your tank. We love you guys. And we will talk to you very, very soon.